1: What is the son of man? Speaking of man, mankind, mankind as a whole, that you take care of him. And, you know, he's quoting David. And David, I just imagine, what you know, David, when he writes this psalm, you know, he's thinking about what is man that you're so mindful of? I ask that question all the time. Who am I that you think about me? I don't want to look at myself in the mirror, let alone the trust that God would think about me and care for me.
0: Next time you look in the mirror, Remember this Psalm of David. David said, What is man that you are mindful of him? The truth is, we aren't anything on our own, but we are loved by God. So when the mirror tells you things you don't want to know, turn your eyes instead to Jesus. He loves that person in the mirror. He's looking on you with eyes of a proud papa. In today's message, Pastor Eddie will show you where you stand with God. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of Hebrews chapter 2. As he begins his message the sun made lower than the angels.
1: chapter 2, we're going to read verses 5 through 18. Verses 5 through 18, Hebrews chapter 2. The writer of Hebrews writes this, For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. And set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. But it was fitting for him from whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praises to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom I God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, In all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest, and things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered. Being tempted, he was able to aid those who are tempted For those of you who are taking notes, in verses 5 through 8, verses 5 through 8, the writer of Hebrew will write about how man was made lower than angels. Man, mankind, were made lower than angels. And then in verse 9 through 18, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, was made lower than angels. Why? Why? We're going to find out. And so we read the text. Let us study the text verse by verse. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 5. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 5. The writer of Hebrews writes this. For he, speaking of God, has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. Remember, the Jews had this fascination with angels and they had a belief that the world to come, would be subject under angels. In fact, it has been claimed that the sectarians in in Koran, that's where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, also had a belief that angels will rule, Michael the archangel, along with the entire angelic host, will rule the world to come or the coming age, they would say. However, God never, ever had the intention for angels to have dominion over the world, whether the world we live in now, the past, present, or the world to come. In the beginning, if we recall in Genesis chapter 1, we found that God has given man dominion over the earth. It was man. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Man was given dominion, but it's now he they're speaking about the world to come. And that speaks of and points to the millennium kingdom of Christ. Um, Millenius don't believe in the world to come. You know they some believe that this is it. I said, "Wow, this is the world to come." Well, uh, then I don't want to hold my breath for anything else. I mean, it, it just seems it's not under control. However, we can see that the writer of Hebrews uh, points that there is a world to come. Now, before we go any further in the Bible, the word "world" is me- it's, it has three meanings. Uh, when it talks about world, it could speak about the earth, the planet earth. Or it, the, secondly, the, the world as in a world system. And we find the world of sports, the world of economics, the world of finance. Or as some people talk about, the new world order. First John tells us, do not be a love of this world. He is of this world, right? So this is the world, the world system. So we have earth, the world system, and then we have the world speaking of people, and we find that when the Lord says, Christ says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world. He's speaking about people. Okay? Here in the Greek is the Greek word. The word world is oikomene. And it means the inhabited earth. That's what it means. So it is speaking of an earth. It's speaking of a world, not a system. It's not speaking about people. Currently, right now, we are living in what is called the church age. The church age began at the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 and we'll continue on to the rapture of the church First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 and also Revelation chapter 4 verses 1 to 2 After the church is raptured, that begins the 70th week of Daniel, spoken of in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. You could also read Romans chapter 11. And then that begins the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation, seven years of tribulation. While the tribulation is taking place here on earth, the church is raptured to be caught up. We're not subject to the wrath of God. And it's not talking about tribulation. It's talking about a great tribulation. There's a difference. The world, you would have tribulation. But there is a great tribulation. Jesus said, a tribulation has never been seen before nor ever will be. So only God can give a great tribulation. The world can give you a great tribulation, just a tribulation. So the seven-year tribulation that would take place here on earth while the church is raptured is the bride of Christ. You see the word church mentions 19 times in chapter 1, 2, and 3 of Revelation. After that, the word church is not mentioned anymore, only at the very end closing the letter. The reason why is no longer church, it is now the bride. So seven years of this honeymoon in heaven, and while seven years of great tribulation pour out here on earth. Once the seven years are completed, then Christ will come again with the church, which is with his bride. Uh, you know, in Revelation tells you he's coming down with horses. So I like what John Corson says, is the bride coming on white horses with combat boots? So they can have a gown of combat boots. But And that's when God's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. That's the millennium kingdom. So it's after the great tribulation. As a matter of fact, let's read Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. It's probably a really long verse. It's just one verse. It says, John writes, And I saw thrones. And they sat on them, and the judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded for their witness to Christ and for the word of God. So there are those that are sitting on thrones, and judgment was committed to them. But there's another group here who have been beheaded uh, for their faith. Those are the tribulation saints, those that will be saved during the great tribulation. I believe that is the reason why there's chapter 6-19 of the Great Tribulation. It's because the Great Tribulation, we look at it as judgment of God, but I see it as the grace of God because people will be saved during those years. And it's the grace of God. And it says, who had not worshipped the beast or his image? The Antichrist will come. The spirit of the Antichrist is still here, but the Antichrist, okay, will come after the church is gone. And that's why it is here on earth. But it says, those who had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And so God never tends. This is the world to come in which the writer of Hebrews is referring to. It's a new heaven and new earth and where we will rule and reign with Christ. But God had never intended for angels to have dominion over the world. It was given to man. Remember, angels are spirit beings that serve Christ and serve us. Remember, when we looked at chapter 1, verse 14, the writer of Hebrew writes this, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? In fact, during the millennium reign with Christ, Paul tells us we will be judging angels. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know that we shall judge angels? And so this world to come was never attended for angels. And the writer of Hebrews is now pointing to man that he made lower than angels. And you know, it was man who was given this dominion over the world. And we will rule and reign with Christ in the world to come. Now in verses 6 to 8, the writer of Hebrews will further prove his point that God has not given dominion over man. He's going to quote from, a, from Psalm chapter 8. I recommend you read the whole Psalm, Psalm chapter 8, and, and use it for devotion. It's, 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 it's amazing what David just writes, you know, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But he has a great way with words and being inspired by the Holy Spirit. I recommend you read it. But you'll notice before we begin looking at what the writer has written about Psalm 8. Notice what he begins in verse 6. In verse 6, he begins with these words. He says, but one testified in a certain place. One testified in a certain place. Some translation has it like this. It has been testified somewhere now I want to just you know just stay here for just a minute because I don't want you to think that the writer of Hebrew is ignorant or he doesn't know anything about the scriptures obviously he knows his bible Obviously, he knows the scripture. He's been quoting scripture after scripture after scripture, and it just proves the fact that this is what we do every Sunday. This is what we do Wednesday. This is what we do Friday. And hopefully, this is what you do in your own time, rightly dividing the word of truth, looking at the entire counsel of the word of God, every scripture, every passage, to confirm the passage that you're reading. And that's what he does here. But notice, he doesn't mention the author, Obviously, he knows that David wrote this psalm. David is one of the writers in the book of Psalms. And Psalm chapter 8, he knows that it was King David, David, who wrote Psalm 8. But in the same way that he did not mention his name in the letter, in the same way he did not mention any of the authors of the Bible that he's quoting from all the passages. Later on, he's going to mention about the men of faith, but never mention them as authors and there's a reason ultimately the purpose of the book of hebrews is not to focus on who wrote it who is he quoting from but jesus christ himself who is the word of god by the holy spirit so let's look at verse six in verse six he says but one testify in a certain place saying what is man that you are mindful of him or what is the son of man speaking of man Mankind, the son of man, meaning mankind as a whole, that you take care of him. And, you know, he's quoting David. And David, I just imagine what, you know, David, when he writes this psalm, you know, he's thinking about what is man that you're so mindful of? I ask that question all the time. Who am I that you think about me? I don't want to look at myself in the mirror, let alone the trust that God would think about me and care for me. But, you know, I love the verse, Is not quoted here. The verse, when you read Psalm 8 in verse 3, uh, kind of gives the, uh, the idea of where the psalmist is going with this. In verse 3 of Psalm he says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. Then he goes on, quoting the psalmist, What is man that you are mindful of him? and the son of man that you visit him. You know, I think about that all the time. I don't know about you, but I believe there's not a single human being that gets tired of looking at what God created, nature. I'm not saying about worshiping nature. I'm not a tree hugger. You know, I put people before God's creation, but I have a respect for nature. I do recycle. I don't kill myself if I you know, throw a straw somewhere, you know. But I do respect, you know, when I mow my lawn and I see these little frogs just hopping low, I'll stop, let them get out of the way, and just, that's just me. And I see a bug, I don't kill it. I see a fire, I don't kill I'll let it be. Because you know why I believe, you know, Years ago, I heard Billy Graham say this. If that insect is there, God created that insect, and he wanted that insect there. Who are you to kill it? Take his life. What has it done to you? You know? So I let it be. The one thing I do kill is mosquitoes. <laughs> they, hey, it's, it, it's either my blood or their life. And I don't know how that mosquito got in the ark, but, you know, Lord, you know, you saved everything. You should have left the mosquitoes behind. But nonetheless, I have a respect for all of God's creation. What I'm saying is we have an appreciation for God's creation. And here David looks at all that God has done, and he puts it all in perspective. Who am I that you're so mindful of me? Keep in mind that when God created heaven and earth, before he created man, that's what he created, heaven and earth. He created a beautiful garden. Then he brought man In the same way, God has the same pattern. He said, I go prepare a place for you, right? In my father's house, there's many mansions. And if I go prepare a place, then I come for you. And it's always been the bridegroom who always prepared a home for the bride. And we see God has been consistent in his love for us in creation and even at the end times when he's preparing a place for us. But just thinking of, of David as a shepherd, shepherding the flock and thinking about Lord, who am I to you so mindful of me? I think we take for granted the things that God has blessed us with. We take for granted that we look at the stars and sky, that God has placed each and every one and knows it all by name, all for you, for you. It is just, oh, I just want to decorate the place. No, it's for man, for those who you love. Who are you, who are we that you're so mindful of? So he goes in in verse 7. He said, you have made him, mankind, a little lower than the angels. Now, he is not saying that man is lower than angels spiritually or that man is less important and angels are more important to God. But he had made man lower than angel in that angels are spiritual beings and we are physical beings spiritual beings, physical beings. For the Lord, the things that are spiritual of the utmost. God is spirit. We worship him in spirit and in truth. We're born again in spirit. He is spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so he had made us a little lower than the angels in a sense that now that we are of flesh, we also have a spirit, the spirit of Christ when we're born again. So he says in verse 7, You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. Verse 8, You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under his feet him. He left nothing that is not put under him. Again, Genesis 1 verse 26. God has given dominion over man. He says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all all the earth, and over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 8. You have put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, man. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now, but now, at the end of verse 8, it says, but now we do not yet see all things put under his feet. Well, what is it? Are all things under his feet or not? It's what changes everything, he says, but now. In the beginning, man had dominion over the earth. But now man does not have. You see, one time at the garden, God has given man dominion over the earth. But presently now we can see that it's out of control. We see evil, we see filth, we see lawlessness, we see chaos, we see confusion, we even see death. And where, what happened that we no longer have dominion over the earth? No, it's not because you don't recycle. It's not because you bike instead of using gas-fueled vehicles. No, it's because of sin. 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 You remember when Adam sinned and Eve sinned, they took of the fruit. At that time, they had dominion. Before they took the fruit, they had dominion over the earth. But when they took the fruit and they sinned against God... Satan now has dominion over the earth. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says it says that he is, he is the God of this age. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 said that he is the prince of the air. You remember when Jesus was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Satan tempted him. And I believe, and I always say this, I think this is the greatest temptation that Jesus ever had. My Thesis, is my view, my, uh, looking at all the Gospels and all that Jesus. Jesus has been tempted in, every po- in all points. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But this is what the greatest temptation of Christ was this, when Satan offered him the world. The world. Let's look at Matthew chapter 9 verses, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 4 verses 9 through 11. And it says, and he, speaking of Satan, said to him, all these things I will give you, that is the world, the kingdom of it, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Verse 11, then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Notice Jesus did not argue with Satan. Jesus could have said, I created the world. He did. He handed it over to man, Adam. Adam's sinned. Satan now has it. Would say this here was Satan was trying to tell Jesus? Hey, Jesus is a shortcut. You don't have to go to cross. You don't have to be flogged. You don't have to have the beard ripped off your face. You don't have to have your hands pierced. You want these people. You want the world. And Jesus saw every face that he created. He saw your face, he saw my face at that moment. He said, this is a shortcut. You want them? You want this world? All you have to do is bow down. I I have it now. I can give it to you. But Jesus did not argue. However, all that's gonna change in the world to come.
0: I'm Friends. We're so glad you decided to join us today, here on Running the Race. Fast Ready has been taking us through the book of Hebrews in a series titled, Jesus is Better. Within its pages, you hear about great people of faith. Do you feel like you could live a life like these great people of faith? You realize they weren't perfect, right? Our hope is that these messages are empowering you to see and believe that you can be a person of great faith too. One way to grow in your faith and understanding of God is by joining up with others who love and serve God. Here's Jessica with an invitation just for you.
1: We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com.
0: Thanks, Jessica. What a great invitation for those in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area. For the rest of us, remember that you can find more messages from Pastor Eddie on that same website, runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're excited to learn more from the book of Hebrews. For today, our time has come to a close, but we'll be back again next time, and hope you will too. Come back to hear Pastor Eddie share more from this great book of Hebrews here on Running the Race.